the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on his throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs, six-winged seraphs, attended to him. With two of their wings, they covered their faces. With two of their wings, they covered their feet. Because they weren't even worthy to look upon God. With two of their wings, they flew. And they called back and forth to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Heaven and earth are full of his glory. When they called back and forth, the place shook and filled with smoke. And I thought, oh no, how did I get here? I'm a person of unclean lips. I come from a people of unclean lips. I'm not worthy to be here, and yet I see God. And at that moment, a seraph flew down, carrying a hot coal and a pair of tongs that he had taken from the altar and touched them to my lips and said to me, your sin has been blotted out. Your guilt has been washed away. You have been made new. At about that time, I heard the voice of the Lord say, who will go for us? Who should we send? And knowing that I had been made worthy, I said, here am I. Send me. That's how I heard that story told 14 years ago. You get the understanding the sense, the deep knowledge of the grandeur of God. The hem of his robe filled the temple. The hem filled the temple. And here the prophet finds himself in the midst of God and wonders, how did I get here and what does it mean? To be aware of the grandeur of God is what the Jewish people knew. They knew their place. And so the religious leaders of Jesus' time took issue with him. He was familiar, a little too familiar, with God. The God who sits on his throne, whose hem fills the temple. Jesus called God Father. And the religious leaders said to him, Who do you think you are? You're one of us. And we are people of unclean lips. So are you. And you call God Father? Jesus did call God Father. He even taught his disciples to pray that way when they asked him to teach them how to pray. Jesus starts with the word Father. We are aware that we have been given this invitation. At the end of our Eucharistic prayer, when I say, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, our Father, the one who sits on the throne, 
whose hem of his garment fills the temple. Jesus said, he is my father. So Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a leader of the Jews, wanted to ask his question of Jesus. It was very important and too fragile to be voiced in the light of day. So he comes to Jesus at night, and he says to him, there's something different about you. We hear you talk about God. We see you do things that could only happen with the presence of God. You heal people. You make them whole. They come to new life in your presence. How can this be? And Jesus says to Nicodemus, you wouldn't see it if the Spirit hadn't opened your eyes to see it. You are being made new, Nicodemus, being born again. But Nicodemus has no place for this concept, being born again. He falls back into his familiar understanding of the world, and he says, how can that happen? The way you're born is from your mother. What do you do, be born again from your mother? And Jesus, almost as if to hold on to the little glimpse that Nicodemus has and to affirm it, goes further and says, no, it's when the water and the Spirit comes and opens you up. And you begin to see who I am and who God is in a new way. It wouldn't happen if the Spirit didn't invite you into this. If the Spirit didn't break you open in a way that you never knew before. And you begin to see who I am that I am one with the Father. I came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. You can only know this if the Spirit reveals it to you. Because, Jesus says, if I tell you, well, doesn't everyone give themselves a good reference? Nicodemus is perplexed by this new way. And yet, it becomes known in the community in fact, the Apostle Paul knew it deep within himself. He, the author of Romans, was a persecutor of people who followed Jesus after Jesus' resurrection, or so that's what they called it. Because you see, Saul was his name, and he knew who God was, and he remembered that God sits on a throne, and the hem of his garment fills the temple. So people who would claim such an intimate relationship with God, they forgot who they are in relationship to God. It was wrong of them, and Saul was going to make sure that they knew it. They were blaspheming. He sought out Christians to bring them to trial, all because he knew who God was and his relationship to that lofty, supreme one. But something happened to Saul. He was on his way to Damascus when a bright light flashed and a voice spoke to him. It was so powerful that he fell to the ground. The voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you? Speaking to that voice. I am Jesus, the voice said. Those that were with Saul heard it too, but they didn't see where it was coming from. 
They picked Saul up off of the ground, and he was blind. They took him by the hand, and they led him to Damascus. And for three days, Saul didn't eat or drink, because he knew something had happened to him. Out of that experience, he came to see who God is. The Spirit had moved in his life in such a way that he was made new, so new that he took on a new name, Paul. And he longed to enter into the community of those that were following Jesus. But they weren't too quick to receive him. They remembered that he entered into homes and pulled people out who were thought to be followers of Jesus. Why would they open the door to him? Paul spends the rest of his life longing to talk about, attempting to talk about, striving to talk about what happened to him in God, through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. You hear him in his letter to the Romans and in all of his letters, attempting to find the words to express it. He's frustrated time and again that they fall short. So he goes for more words and other words, trying to break open who God is beyond our language. He tells us that it is through this triune God that we know who we are, children of God, that we too have been invited into an intimate relationship with the one who is on the temple. We've been made worthy to be in relationship because of Jesus. And we are empowered in that relationship because of the Holy Spirit. We too get to say, Abba, Father. Today is Trinity Sunday. The Trinity is a doctrine of the church. This way of describing God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a litmus test for Christians. There are variations on a theme out there. People added in or taken away from this three-in-one God. But it is the three-in-one God that makes us Christians. That's how we talk about it. Because we are hard-pressed to be able to describe our experience. This description of God as three-in-one feels somewhat limiting, even though it's working to try to open up the bigness of God. It's what trips us up in our interreligious dialogues, even with those of the Abrahamic faiths, Judaism and Islam. This triune God, this way of talking about the three-in-one God, gets in the way. Most of the Jewish community has found a way to deal with it. Those in the Islamic community are still having trouble. How can we claim to follow one God when we speak of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one? If you look at the college for today, you see our attempt to try to make sense of it by the limits of our language. Miroslav Wolf, a Christian professor at Yale, wrote a book on this struggle entitled Allah, and the whole book, which is easy, easy to read, but is a few hundred pages long, is about our interrelations with Muslims and this triune God getting in the way. But he identifies what we identify, Miroslav 
identifies what we identify, which is we can't give this part up because we know it. It's our experience. It's the best we can do to talk about this God who was and is and is to come. This God who works in the world. It's all we got. And we can't let it go because we know it deep within ourselves. I visited a parishioner early yesterday evening. Ray is his name. Some of you know him. And he asked me to tell his story. Last week, Ray went in for a stress test at the request of his doctor. And not far into the stress test, he was instructed to stop because he was failing it so badly. With their little camera, they went in to look to see what the blockage was around his heart. Three arteries were blocked. One 100%, another 80, and another 70. So on Thursday afternoon, he was told, you're going to stay here, and tomorrow you'll have open heart surgery. At 9 a.m. on Friday morning, he went in, and the doctors performed this surgery, which they have been doing for several decades now. At 1.30, he was finished, taken to ICU, still intubated and heavily sedated. By around 3.30, he began to regain consciousness, and by that evening, he was taken off the various machines. When I saw him yesterday, at around 5 in the afternoon, they had just brought him in dinner a real meal, lettuce, with pita chips. Now, any of you who've been in the hospital know they don't give you that meal until you're ready for it. Here it was barely 24 hours after his open heart surgery, and he's being served a real meal. He was overwhelmed by what had taken place in him. He didn't have words. He attempted to say words in between wiping away the tears. Gratitude was all he could feel for what God has done in him, literally broken him open and given him a new heart, new life. He doesn't have words to express it, yet it is such a huge piece for him, a huge story that he was attempting to try to tell it, wanting to find ways to share the gift that he had been given, and his deep sense that God had been a huge part of this, had brought him back from the brink of death and given him new life, both literally and metaphorically, true to his deepest being. And so he told me to tell you. The Trinity is our experience of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's how it is that God works in our midst, and it cannot be denied, even though the way of talking about it may seem limiting. God, the creator of all things, is still creating, is still creating in us. God, who redeems all things as we know in Christ, 
is redeeming us still. God who sustains us through the Spirit in our daily lives is still sustaining us. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen. Amen.